Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to the Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Zachary Scholemberger. Zachary is a multilingual poet and translator. He's published multiple books of his own in Yiddish, English, and Hebrew uh, poetry books. He's also translated among these languages in a variety of genres for children and adults. His translation of Yiddish poetry have appeared in Poetry Magazine, The Forward, and other publications. He was a 2013 Yiddish Book Center Translation Fellow. A doctor by profession, he lives in Baltimore with his Yiddish-speaking family. Welcome, Zachary. Thanks for having me. Delighted to have you and so looking forward to chatting with you about your forthcoming translation, Sutzkever Essential Prose. I know um, this has been something... um, that we've been so excited to bring out through White Go Press and also um, much anticipated. I know it's been, um, if I may, a very Herculean task uh, to get all of this put together in a volume. It's an ambitious undertaking and one which I imagine will be very well received. So um, curious to ask you um, if you could talk a little bit about Sotskover, um and what drew you to this project, and, and in particular, how did you uncover the prose, which I gather is very, very little known and likely not very much in translation. I think um, I started to acquaint myself with Sotskover as somebody who's been interested in poetry as a poet and a translator and a reader for a long time. And um, I think I have been lucky because my interest in Yiddish coincided with my interest, my growing interest in poetry. So the two sort of happened at the same time. And there was a period when I was doing some traveling after college and writing a lot and very badly and reading a lot and writing in Yiddish and reading in Yiddish and reading in English. And I don't remember whether I had Sutzkever with me in my backpack then, but I do remember reading a lot of Sutzkever at the time and maybe not getting all of it, but he was among the first poets I acquainted myself with in Yiddish. And he is obviously a very well-known Yiddish poet, possibly the most translated of the modern, that is the 20th century Yiddish poets. Um, And I think um, I encountered his prose works. You know, I don't remember when I first encountered the first of them, but I do remember that um, one of the first things that happened to me when I moved to Baltimore, which we did in 2009, uh, from New York, is that a friend of mine, Ken Moss, who's a professor of Jewish studies here, uh, gave me a nearly complete set of the Journal de Golden Kate, the Golden Chain, which was the world's leading Yiddish literary journal, founded by Sutzkever and co-edited by him. Uh, founded in you know, first issue was in 1947. And which included excerpts from his prose work. So it might have been there that I first encountered his his poetic prose. And um, I began wondering if anyone had translated them. And I think I caught glimpses of other translations of part of the work. The prose has not been completely unknown, but it's been difficult to get to in translation. Uh, Parts were translated um, by the Harshavs in their selected, or rather in their selected works of of Sutzkever. And parts were also translated by Ruth Weiss in her, um, in the journal Proof Text, I believe. But I think I realized that they should be translated because it prevent, presents a different face of the poet. Um, that's what's interesting to me is I, you know, I, early on I knew of Sutzkever's poetry, 
But in reading this um, in terms of the prose, it's just, it's really quite remarkable. Um, and I wonder if you could speak a little bit about this. I, I find his writing, and if I can use this word, very visual. Um, I'm also really interested in your comments in terms of what it was like to tackle this work with his, um, not just his voice um, and, the, and that very, again, visual writing, but also it feels as though there are very definite ways that he paces or provides space between certain sentences or paragraphs that allow the reader to breathe or to take it in in a, in a way that feels so integrated with his work um, in ways that I haven't encountered with other, with other writers. And maybe this is the poet. Um, anyway, I'm hoping that you might be able to elaborate on this or give me some insights from your perspective. So it, it, it occurs to me, um, as you say this, that there's something cinematic about his, his prose. And I, you know, I'm, unfortunately I'm not a, uh, uh, a film expert, uh, but I can say there are a number of visual explorations in his prose poetry and a number of, of different shots that enable the reader to, as you say, to take a breath or to get perspective between one view and the other. Um, and I think there are reasons, many reasons for this. Um, as any reader of Sutskever knows, um, he was a, a lover of the visual arts. Um, and in fact, his, his um, uh, at least one of his daughters was a visual artist. Um, he obviously collaborated with, with um, the artist Mark Chagall. Uh, and so he was a, a visual person, that, that is to say. And, um, and that is found both in his lyric poetry and in his prose poetry. Um, he also, the word he used for his prose poetry, he called them Ausschreibungen, um, descriptions. Um, so there is a sense in which they're almost um, sketches, uh, visual sketches. And I think that there's a way in which, again, he didn't use this metaphor himself, but one can imagine them as sketches for an album. Um, and part of an album's work is to memorialize and to preserve. And that would be an oversimplification of what he was doing with his prose works, but definitely that's part of it. He talks about people he knew um, or the narrator does. I don't want to make the elementary error of confusing the author and the, and the narrator, but everyone does it and I will as well. There are people he knew, you know, girlfriends he, he, he had, uh, neighborhoods that no longer existed. So this, these, these descriptions are an album of departed things or things that still exist. I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit. It's an interesting um, way of describing some of what I took away from the work. Um, in terms of knowing Sutzkever and knowing his life uh, and then reading into some of this, how this work, um, I, I hate to use this word process, but in a way it was an outlet for him to wrestle, I think, with a lot of aspects of his life. Um, and they come through in, to me in some sometimes interesting and sometimes very revealing ways. Did you feel that? Yeah, and I think, you know, I was sort of 
joking before when I was talking about making the elementary error of confusing the author and the, narrator, and the narrator because some of this is clearly autobiographical. So it's not a fallacy to confuse when Siskiver all, 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 so often does the confusing for us. And in his lyric poetry, in his famous lyric poetry, he sets up historical or describes historical events which never occurred, right? So, so the, the famous poem of his about um, melting the, the lead plates in Rome's Drucari and the Rome pr uh, printing press to make bullets, right? Uh, as many people point out, that certainly never happened. Um, but it, he describes it as an actual event. And so there are many ways in which his autobiograph autobiography makes it as material into his work. So there's one um, story among the prose where at least one story, at least one, probably more than one, where he is the narrator and a woman comes to him and seeks to tell her own story, her own monologue, and he is there to process it or to, to convey her manuscript to a printer. And this, this happens time and again in Yiddish literature, post-Holocaust Yiddish literature, of people, uh, people transcribing the monologues of survivors, even outside the Holocaust, right? Plenty of famous Yiddish authors have transcribed and I say that in quotes because maybe transcribed or also created monologues of, of migrants, of refugees. And uh, the writer plays the role of, I'm trying to think of the right word. Or a vehicle in a way. A vehicle, that's right, that's very good. A vehicle or a shaliach, a messenger, or, or uh, um, uh, a force that preserves and, and has to process these stories. So when you ask about him processing for himself, he's... I think he's doing that and he's also processing for other people. And his prose is the crucible in which memory is and the present are made into something else. Um, and he was very confident in his own ability to do such transmogrification, right? This is what he saw himself as. He was not a shrinking violet. And, um, and, and people that knew him well in his life never saw in him much doubt of what he thought his role was. And that comes through in the prose, right? That he is a hero, he is, a hero. He is the person um, fleeing from the hut, chased by Nazis with their dogs, not because he's running away in fear, but because he has somewhere to be, right? Clearly he doesn't want to be killed, that's part of it, but he's also running towards something. And I think that accounts for part of that, that overlaps with part of his role as a processor, as a shliach, as a messenger. He's trying to convey, um, and he's trying to convey so that people will will live on, so that things will be memorialized. The, and I hope it's okay to say this, but um, an aspect of that reminds me of Hava Rosenfarb's writing um, the short stories and survivors um, where she she has the voice of the narrator and it's a vehicle but Sutzkefer is again his his way of um, putting this all down in writing is just so kind of magnificent um, and strong now I, I know you've attached I've heard you mention lyrical as a descriptive and also alternative universe. And I would love to hear you talk a little bit more about that um, in terms of his way of using 
both that lyrical voice and the alternative universe as a way to tell these stories. Yeah, well, I, the, I, I want to say briefly, the comparison to the Clava Rosenfarb is interesting. Um, and Sutzkever very much using the male gaze and with a number of female figures in his fiction, I think that really cries out for a feminist analysis. Uh, so that uh, would be something really of, of, of worth. Um, I think people have done that, but with the prose, I think there might be room for such an analysis. So about your point about alternative universes, I'll just say that um, there's an interesting question about what genre this is, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of overlapping genre descriptors. Um, recently, one of the work pieces that I translate was included in an anthology of, of um, fantasy literature. I hesitate because I forget whether it was science fiction and fantasy. I think it was just fantasy, but there's a lot of overlapping, right? There's fantasy, there's, 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 um, there's alternative universes, um, there's, um, he, you could call it prose fiction, um, short, short fiction, short fiction. So um, I think um, it depends on what expectations one has of narrative and what one is doing with narrative. Um, his, and so I think only in a few of these pieces is there a story with a beginning, middle and end and a narrative line. Most of them are more impressionistic um, or we start in medias res and we don't, we don't really get a, a, a fulfilling ending. Um, and I think part of that is maybe because we don't get the same expectations of causality that we frame our general reality with. It's a very interesting way to think about that. Um, of course, I have to ask you, what were the challenges of finding his voice? Um, and did you ever, did, how much of his work did you have to read and reread in order to get to that place? Well, I guess this is, a, this is a great time. It's always a great time to acknowledge that this is very much a team effort that like without the editors, um, the, the mentors in the translation program at the book center and the editors at White Goat Press and all my clan of Yiddish translators and everybody that's looked at the text and the edit and more and more editors and, and repeated editing and copy editing. Um, so it's, it's, it's been very much uh, everybody helping push this uphill. And I think finding the voice you know, I think in one in one aspect, it's a blessing that it was a not a short text to translate. Um, so, translation is like a lot of other things; um, you have to do a lot of it to get your groove. And after you've translated like your tenth story by the same guy, you sort of figure out his voice. I think. Um, so there's, and there's many levels of answering the question, right? So there's Yiddish as a thing to translate. So that's, you know, it's a language, right? You, 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 like there's a whole translation theory, which I find fascinating, but as a working translator, not so helpful. You sort of have to, to, to do the work and figure it out and sort of struggle along. Then there's the kind of Yiddish he wrote in, which is literary Yiddish. It's not contemporary Hasidic Yiddish. It's not, it's, so it's a different beast. And then there's his kind of literary Yiddish, which is, you know, has the local flavor of a Lithuanian Yiddish and it's got his very, his own kind of literary persona. And then there's a, this is his own literary style. And then there's literary style in these stories. So, and all that 
woven and through all through these is, is woven through the, the questions of any translator or the specific Yiddish translator, like what do you do with the Jewish terms? Right? What do you do with the Slavic terms? What do you do with toponyms, with, with place names? Um, what do you do with stuff that you're not sure about? So many challenges. Um, yeah, <laughs> many challenges. I will leave it at that. <laughs> um, well, you took them on brilliantly. Thank you. Um, and I always want to ask this question. So forgive me, I'm going to ask it again. I've asked it to other translators. Is there one piece that resonated with you or one work that you came across that sort of pulled all of this together? I think um, there's the work Bomka, which has a really weird scene with a barber that wants to decapitate somebody and there's a mouse and it ends with somebody kissing clay. It's all these striking visual images and it's not clear what the heck is happening, um, except that somebody might die in any minute, which is very Sutskiverian, right? Also very Jewish. Um, so that left a deep impression on me. Um, there is a story where the narrator or Sutskiver himself goes to give a reading and um, he is squired at the end of it to a very dark scene where someone is eating from a skull and then he writes the opposite of a thank you note to the guy that took him talking about how crazy it was, but in a very deadpan kind of way. Um, and then there's, you know, the, the, the last impression I'll give is of the story Lady Job um, in which um, there is a sculpture in the Vilna ghetto that is born off in flight. So all these images, um, you know, will stay with me for a long time. Um, and I think it's, it's, maybe it's the opposite of processing. We were talking about processing earlier. And I think in the, in the, in the, in the Bow ideal, ideal of psychotherapy, maybe when you process something, you kind of subsume it into your existence and you, you make your peace with it and you go on but everybody knows that in my day job as a doctor, victims of trauma, that never goes away, right? That trauma doesn't go away. You don't process. And so these images that Sitzkiver provides are not meant to be processed and to go away. They're, they're supposed to stay with us, which doesn't make the work easy. Um, and it makes me, of course, think of Sitzkiver's, one of maybe perhaps his most famous poem, which will, what will remain, um, which a zillion people have translated me among them. And um, where he provide, pre presents this series of images and at the end he says, what will stay, what will, what, will, what will remain, God will remain, isn't that enough for you? The implication being, well, no, you, you ninny. <laughs> God is not enough because I present you all these images which are not really explicable. So you're going to have to deal with them. And I'm not going to, like, there's no theological out here. So there's no out with, from these images. It's just, and, and there's no processing. Um, thank you. Because I, I, yeah, I grasp for a better word than processing. All no, the, no, I wasn't going, no, 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 because it's so true. And I think this is what I was thinking about with Hava Rosenfarb is that, this writing is wrestling with these beasts in, in various ways and also over the arc of a lifetime of writing 
is always going to be an ongoing process because as you say, it's trauma and, and it affects one in the rest for the rest of their life. It's something that informs you and writing is, it seems as uh, you know, a way to, you know, grapple with it and at just different points in time in your life I would imagine you know as the writer he grapples with it differently so it's just um again a very thank you a very, a very good way to look at all of this one last question for our listeners Zachary is um the book is divided into sections and can you just sort of speak a little bit about that construct so that we get a a better understanding of how this fits under this one umbrella of essential prose. Sure. So these, I mean, these prose pieces were published in chunks. Um, uh, I think every, every one of his prose poems was published in his journal, the golden, the Cape, um, the the golden chain that I mentioned um, um, earlier. Um, So they were all published originally separately. Each is an individual miniature. Uh, and some of them, the longer ones, I believe were published um, in series that is over more than one journal issue. Um, and then later they were collected and published in individual books. Um, and so there are, um, the, the, the essential prose that I've translated here represents two um, individual volumes, which were published as you know book length, 300 page uh, volumes by the Magnus Press associated with the Hebrew University in Israel. Um, over a couple of decades. Um, and so, and each of the, one of those books is in various sections. So the sections um, in, in this edition, in this translation represents more or less um, how these miniatures have been presented in book form. Great, so again, um, the forthcoming edition is Sutzkever, Essential Prose, and it will be published and available early in December. Um, If our listeners would like to purchase a copy, it will be available at shop.yiddishbookcenter.org. You can pre-order the book now. Um, So it's cover essential prose. Thank you, uh, Zachary, so much for your work. I know that this has been um, a long in the making and just beautifully crafted work in translation and important work to be bringing to readers. Um, So as a reader who can only read it in the English. I thank you personally um, and for readers everywhere. Uh, I think that this is going to be a book that you want to keep coming back to. So thank you. And uh, I hope you continue to do ambitious projects like this. Thank you. And thank you so much to the, to you and the, the Yiddish Book Center and everyone associated for, for their collaboration on this project. Right. All right. Stay well. Thanks again for joining me. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To subscribe to this and other podcasts, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Sarah Blakefeld. Be well, be healthy, and tune in again soon. Mm-hmm.